This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual-threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv, an unmatched dual threat. Welcome to Front Office Features. This week's special guest, Vice President, Business Operation of the Long Island Nets of the G League. Alton, welcome. Hey, Chris. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. Uh, I'm pumped. I think you might be our first former professional athlete, now turned professional in the front office. So this will be a fun one for me. Great. So, Alton, you want to just give our listeners a really quick background? I mean, I I was talking to you right before we started this. You have a long, distinguished career and resume of accomplishments, so we'll try and get to the ones that are uh, of, of importance to you, but fill us all in on uh, of what, how you've got to today to become the Vice President of Business Ops for Long Island Nets. So it's been an interesting and circuitous journey. Um, born and raised in San Francisco, uh, university at Columbia University in New York City, uh, drafted by the Boston Celtics. Uh, 18 years as, as a professional basketball player in Europe, in the United Kingdom, uh, primarily. Uh, some additional years as a business executive in the sports industry, I've been uh, a player, a head coach, a GM, a, a partial team business or partial team owner. Uh, I have also been involved with uh, everything to do with the front office, from ticket sales to sponsorship to the management of a team. I have worked in the NFL, the WNBA, the NBA, and then the NBA G League uh, over my career. And I have run my own multicultural marketing agency, executive coaching business, uh, and have had the good fortune of um, being global in my ability to do business. So I've, I've had an opportunity, Chris, to travel all over the world, uh, play sports all over the world, uh, work with people in Australia and New Zealand and, you know, Africa. And uh, so I, I, I would I would consummate this 
this kind of description of my career as uh, blessed and very highly favored. That's amazing. And I, I doing some research on you, there were some pretty high accolades thrown your way. You were considered by some as the greatest player ever to play in the English League. Yeah, I guess that depends on who you have. <laughs> who you have. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that everybody that I played against would say that 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 wasn't the case. Maybe I was the most disliked or hated, but um, you know, we I was fortunate to play at a time uh, in the United Kingdom when basketball was a very high-profile sport, uh, drawing capacity crowds at Wembley and various other parts of the UK. So I, I guess to the extent that I was a part of uh, a group of great players who played in the UK and great coaches who coached in the UK. Uh, including Nick Nurse, um, Kevin Cato, there are a bunch of people who have been in the UK that have gone on to NBA success. Uh, Again, I was just very lucky, um, and I got a chance to compete for a long time. Well, you're very humble in that, but yeah, everything I was reading about you and the amount of, I think you won four championships while you were over there. Is that true? Yeah, we. well, I'm the only player to be – player of the year four times in British basketball history. And then the teams that I played on both in England and in Scotland um, were, uh, I was part of 38 different championship winning or competition, championship winning competitions. So the truth is I, I played on some good teams and played with some really great players. So. And then a, another thing that stuck out to me was that at 25, which is obviously in, in a career standpoint, not necessarily for an athlete still young, but for professional it is, you became the first African-American general manager of a British, British sports franchise. Yeah, that was a little bit of an unusual set of circumstances. I was playing in London, decided to transition to play basketball for David Murray in um, Scotland. David ended up owning Glasgow Rangers. Uh, And he wanted the best British team that we could put together. And he asked me to use my contacts and and leverage uh, my knowledge of the game to create uh, a basketball team. And he said, I want you to be the GM. Uh, My first year, I was the head coach, um, the GM, and, you know, I was the captain of the team. So that whole player coach GM thing lasted a year. And then I. You know, I was responsible for the commercial outcomes of the team and, you know, going out to talk about sponsorship and getting our games on TV and that kind of thing. So, yeah, it was helpful. And I was young and still learning, but I was very lucky to experience it at a young age. I think that's a great transition here to, to this next question where a lot of folks or, and young people who want to work in our industry typically come from either a performer athlete life whether they played in college or were around sports their whole career, having played professionally and then having that mantra of that mentality of, a, of an athlete, how has that translated into your career off the court? It's been very helpful, um, primarily because, you know, my commitment, you know, my mother, God rest her soul, always said to me, what happens if you can't play anymore? And, you know, she kept reminding me of that through my whole career. And so she subconsciously had me thinking about life after sports all the time. And the best way for me to learn about sports was literally to be in it, you know, to notice the things that were uh, important, to notice the things that we had an opportunity to observe, whether it be how we sold tickets, what pricing was like. So 
at a very young age, I just wanted literally to understand the business of sport. Um, I became a, a football fan, soccer fan in the UK, because if, if you, you have to, if you want to have any kind of social life, um, Wait, who's your team? Before we, who who do you root for? Because that could change the direction of this conversation <laughs> real fast. I am a Liverpool supporter. Oh, the, oh, and we are we are good to go, my friend. Good, good. Right. Fenway, that we own Liverpool, so you know what? You and I can continue this conversation. Yeah. We are we're all right. We can keep going. I have been a Liverpool supporter since 1979. So uh, I was friends with Graham Souness um, when he was at Liverpool, and I got a chance to meet Kenny Dalglish. So I've, I've had a lot of Liverpool, uh, let's call it a lot of Liverpool injections of, of, of fun and, and excitement. And I, I respect the organization. So It's uh, been a nice couple year run we've gone for um, a, lot of, a lot of heartache in between the 1979 till now. But I would say uh, it's the, the patience has paid off for the successes we're seeing on the pitch. Yeah. And the team... Missed it by a point, right? One more point. We got. We would have had a hundred. Right, and it's funny. My son is a Manchester United supporter. Oh, oh, oh! He doesn't really. He doesn't really like to talk to me about football too much of late. So I, not lately. He might be out of the will if he's not careful. That's what I was told by my family because I I grew up with a I grew up a Yankee fan and now I work for the Red Sox. So there's <laughs> that. But yeah, I, so I completely understand where that could get that dynamic gets hairy in the household. Yes, it does. So it, He's okay. He understands. And I don't know how he ended up being a United fan, um, but he did. And so we have interesting conversations when United and Liverpool get together. Not everyone's perfect, right? Not everyone. Everyone has their flaws. Right. Well, you you also worked outside of sports. And, and a lot of a lot of folks typically ask that question. If I, if I don't always work in sports, will it be held against me? Uh, is it harder to get back in? So you were in and then you actually did leave for a little while and, and worked with place like a clear focus. How did that improve your abilities by seeing the other side of the world? Because I mean, quite frankly, we always say this sports and sports business is it's very different. Uh, we probably live in a little bit of a bubble. So how did that help you then as going going outside of the sports world and coming back? And what what did you apply from those learnings to help you get to where you are today? It's interesting. Being out of sports gives you a context for life. Um, And I think a lot of people misunderstand the value of sport. Obviously, there's the emotion of sport, but they misunderstand the real value of sport, which is really to talk about teamwork and to talk about relationships and to talk about building connection and really kind of um, creating togetherness and learning from each other and being out of sports helped me to look at sports differently. Um, There are lots and lots of lessons you can learn from not being in sports because there are some things that are obvious in sports that people just miss. You know, Um, sometimes there are a lot of reasons why people aren't as good at sports at the professional level um, that people don't understand. And being out of sports, the fundamentals of, of life and business teach you, hey, can players uh, coexist? Are they the right fit? How do they talk to each other? How do they communicate? Because if you were to ask a ton of people in the business world, the biggest weakness any business has is their ability to communicate its vision and mission, and then internally to have people communicate um, what their initiatives are so that they can work together to achieve them. So being out taught me uh, to take a different lens and a different view, 
um, and to really kind of get myself into a space where I could observe. And here's the other thing I learned about being, I learned to ask a lot of questions by not being in sports because I learned that people really um, want to know how much you care. And by asking and seeking to understand people first before trying to ask them to understand you really helps your ability uh, in the real world and it certainly helps your ability in the sports world. That's that's fascinating because it's people always ask that question, and then the way you just described it, I think hits the nail on the head. Because I, 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 while staying in the industry, left it for a little bit and went on the brand side, seeing how an organization operates and and understanding their processes helped me so much more down the line when I was trying to make decisions or understand how someone's thought process was working. Because, like I said, we kind of live in a bubble in sports, right? We we, we put on games, we're here for entertainment, the, the, the camaraderie, that's the culture that's set forth in, in sports organizations, just, it's just different. So having that outside perspective can sometimes be beneficial. And I think that's a good discussion to have right now is a lot of young people or even us, some of us who've been in the business a while are faced with this dilemma. Our, our industry is at a crossroads with COVID and there's not many opportunities where you would typically find when you're graduating or if you lose your lose an opportunity from a cutbacks or furloughs. What would your advice be to folks who are trying to find their way into this industry but are pretty much roadblocked based on the current situation? What should they be doing and what, where, where should they look to go work to hone their skills to be ready to come back when everything does fire back on? That's a great question. Um, I always tell people, first of all, if this is your passion, don't give up. There's always a way in and there's always a place that wants you. Um, and in sports, because we have so many levels of sports, you know, you can volunteer at the high school level. You can be a part of the college level. You can be a part of the minor league sports level. You can be a part of major league sports, but there's always a way in. The question is, what are you prepared to do to get in? So number one, Chris, is you got to do your research. You have to determine what are the things that I'm really passionate about as it relates to sports? What are the things that I want to do and how do I go about really kind of figuring out what I want to do in sports? Do you want to sell? Do you want to be a part of relationship building, which is what sponsorship is? Do you want to be a part of marketing or merchandise? Do you want to be a part of game operations? You want to invest your time and energy and care into the community do you want to be in finance and administration, PR, communications, human resources? You know, most people say, I want to be on the baseball or football or basketball operation side. Um, or do you want to be in the law? Right there, there are nine elements of our business that you can pick. So one, determine exactly where you want to be, right? In terms of sports, what's your passion? Number two, you got to do the research, you got to do the work, and then if you can't get in and be paid for it, find yourself a job, but then go and talk to teams, find internships, create opportunities where you can truthfully get into sports, get a taste of it, dip your toe in the water, and then you can say, I'm really passionate, I really want to do this. Because I'm telling you, teams are always looking for talent, and if you are talented and committed, 
teams will always find you. The third thing I take, Chris, is be prepared to move. You know, it yep. be in, oh yeah, preach that. You know, it might not be in the town that you want to be in, but there might be something two towns over, two states over, that frankly you can you can get yourself an internship, and it might be hardship to start with, but if it's really a passion, you don't mind. Uh, I'd, we we tell that regularly is the one thing about our business you can't change is geography, right? That that challenge stays with us. As you move up the ladder, as you're looking for an entry-level job, it never goes away. There's only X amount of positions available in each geography section of the country or the world. So if you're not willing to, like to your what you just, I love the three things that you just said, because every interview is a story, right? And what story do you have to tell of how you add value and what have you done up to that point of why we should hire you for that specific role versus just like, I want to work in sports. I like sports. That doesn't cut it. Nope. Nope, not anymore. Well, and, you know, with, with the way the industry's gone, you know, frankly, there's a lot of talent out here now. You know, there's a lot yes. of young talent. Flooded. Yeah, there's a lot of young talent. There's also a lot of very experienced talent now. And the truth is you have to separate yourself with, you know, your work ethic. You know, like everybody talks about you got to be analytically driven now in sports. And I think, I don't think there will ever be a time that sports will not um, be able to utilize people's skills and soft skills because everything is about your ability to be able to talk to people and communicate with people. And it doesn't matter what the numbers say. Basically, it matters how you communicate what the numbers say. So um, I'm a believer that there's always a place for people that really want to be in it. Um, in this industry, in sports, and if they can communicate what they bring to the table, they'll always find a place. I love that because it has become so data overload where I still believe, and to your point, it's still a science. And those of us who get it, to be able to take that data, analyze it, and make the decision and communicate it on the level of a sports discussion, that's where you make hay and that's where you build those relationships and not drown someone in a, in a spreadsheet, right? With sports is not supposed to be that. It's supposed to be about passion, excitement, connection, community, all those things. And how you can bring that to life will separate you from the haves and the have-nots in our industry. Well, and I will tell you this. If you were to ask players, the great players on the court, they, they might get, you know, they might get numbers and spreadsheets and analytics, but you can't tell me that James Harden gives two hoots about analytics <laughs> trying to make his 55 it. shots a game right. like, we don't, don't. like you know mike d'antoni just says look man we, we you're averaging 35 a game we need you to average 23s a game we as a team need to average 50 or 60 and you know daryl morey as the gm says look that's how we want to play well for someone like James Harden, it's like, great. So basically what you tell him is you want me to throw up shots from long distance. That Like, it's that simple. So, you know, I, I just don't think – I think analytics is highly rated, and I think people skills, soft skills, and communication skills are underrated. Hey, guys. Fall, right around the corner. You know what that means. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live, out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, 
plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFL NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. I completely agree. And but you definitely like to your point, you have to understand the data to make a sound decision, but you have to articulate in a way that people don't feel like you're all of a sudden making sports not what it's supposed to be about. Correct. Love that. Correct. So uh, you've been in you've been in the business a while now. And as you said, our industry has evolved. What do you find most rewarding about your job now on a day to day basis? And I say job quotation marks. I know you can't see me, but because I always feel like we don't really have jobs because we get to do what we love. What do you feel most rewarded about our industry? You know, as I, I've been involved in sports literally all my life, um, and now in in the role that I'm in, you know, as a leader of a business and a member of a team and a member of an organization, uh, the greatest part is you you get to work with people who have the same passion as you, who are as curious as you are who are willing to um, seek your advice and willing to work with you and give you the benefit of their advice and guidance. And that is what I love about sports. You get to see things that other people don't always get to see. You get to participate in things that other people don't get to participate in, but you take that experience and then you take it somewhere where it, it becomes a way to tell a story, a way to communicate an experience. And a lot of that time it's with ticket buyers and sponsors, but more of the time it's with the people you work with and the people you love. It's, it's so, at the, I mean, I love that you're just like literally reaffirming everything Rob and I usually say. So I, I appreciate that. So it makes it sound like we're intelligent too. But the one thing we also talk about, and I, I'm a big proponent of, I'm only here today and successful based on my time in the minor leagues because I, I was able to see, feel, touch everything. The G League uh, has essentially been a startup now for a little bit and keeps growing and growing and growing. What can young people benefit from going to an organization like the G League opposed to, say, starting at like a Madison Square Garden? Where do you see the key differences there for someone to be at the Long Island Nets versus the Brooklyn Nets? You made a really good point. You know, like a lot of people have learned and cut their teeth and made their bones in what is perceived to be minor league. The fact is the the only thing that's different about the majors and the minors is you have a lot bigger toys to play with. Your toys are way more sophisticated. But if you start in the minor leagues, if you start in leagues that don't have, you know, like whether it be minor league baseball or the G League, um, and and I kind of take exception to the fact that the G League is quote unquote minor, um, because as you look at the evolution of the G League and the job that, you know, the NBA has done in in putting this in place to develop players, to develop coaches, to develop front office staffs, to create opportunities for them to move on. Um, what you get in minor league, what you get in the G League, for example, is a robust experience in the entire sports business. So you can get a marketing job 
in the G League, but you know you're going to be involved in selling tickets. You're going to be involved in being involved in sponsorship pitches. You're going to be able to try and do things that at the G League level that you can't do at the NBA level. And sometimes you create an outcome for your G League team that the big team ends up adopting and using and turning them into a more successful operation. So I think that the opportunity to work in the G League or for that matter, the Long Island Nets gives you a view of the entire business. If you go and start to work for what I would call an NBA franchise, whether it's MSG or BSE or, you know, uh, the, the Lakers, and you get hired to do ticket sales, that's your job. If you go to work for the South Bay Lakers or the Austin Spurs, you're going to learn about ticket sales. You're going to learn about marketing. You're going to be in meetings about sponsorship and activation. You're going to learn about PR, what to do, what not to do, how to make pitches, how not to make pitches. And so I think, Chris, to be honest, this is the best of educations. You know, I, I, I would call it you know, working in like the Ivy League of sports before you get to go on to blue chip sports. I, I love that because I couldn't agree more. Like I learned more in my time, I believe, in the AHL when I was there about the whole entire business yeah. and understand the symbiotic relationship between departments. Because to your point, if sometimes you start at that level, whether it be with the Lakers, the Knicks, the Nets, and you go straight up through the same department and never get outside that view – you only have that one high level view of like, Oh, it's all about me. This is what I do. And don't understand the challenges the marketing department faces or the PR department faces where you actually are that department. Because I, I agree with your point where the, the only difference between the Long Island Nets and the Brooklyn Nets, probably how you run as an operation is the number of people, right? You're doing the exact same thing with a lot less people. Correct. And, and the truth of the matter is we, we are absolutely unequivocally the embodiment, we try to be, the embodiment of the Brooklyn Nets on the court and off the court. We, we do the best we can to ensure that any player who comes to play for us, any two-way player, whether it's Chris Chioza, Jeremiah Martin, Justin Anderson, that when they come to the Long Island Nets, they don't see it as going down. They just see it as I'm going over there to get playing time and I'm going over there to participate in a system that is exactly like the system in Brooklyn. And we do on the business side, we give them plenty of opportunities to learn our business. We give them plenty of opportunities to work with our business. Uh, and we try and, and give them three things, information, education and inspiration. So when our GM, Matt Riccardi, brings players to us, you know, I always say, look, I am so happy to have you here. Hopefully you're not here for long. But while you are here, we're going to do our best to make you comfortable and give you the knowledge and the information and education you need so that you can go on and be a superstar in the NBA. That's really that's great. I mean, even with the players, because to your point, honing your skills, it's the same thing in the front office, right? It is. You're honing your skill. I got a question for you, though, Alton, because as someone who did transition from the NHL to the AHL back to the MLB, there's always this weird perception by folks who didn't work in the minors at our at the at the major level where they sometimes say, oh, that you're a minor leaguer. We don't know if you'd work here in the major league. I, I think it's like, look, I've done it. You've, you've done it. 
the principles are the same. The only thing different is the back page with the commas and the zeros, right? That's it. That's all. That's the only difference. And as a matter of fact, most of the time when you come from minor leagues, you are far better prepared to deal with major league issues because you know how to solve problems. You know how to become a exactly. More, you know how to become a little bit more entrepreneurial. You know that hey, here's a challenge I have to face. No one's coming to save me. No one's going to send me more money. So how do I go out and get this done? And sometimes the way you get it done becomes the process that helps the big club drive something new. And and so like in our organization, we always talk about the product last, you know, because we can't really control how the players play. We can't control, you know, how our GM selects players. We can't control how they scout them. And we're on board and trust that their decisions are right. But the two things we can control, the the quality of the people we get and the process that the quality of those people develop. So we always look at things as people, process, and then the product. Because if we get the right people and they're smart and we don't and we can get out of our own way and let them develop processes that, you know, that will help move us forward then the product will take care of itself. I, I always say when we need something sold or you need a creative solution, call the minor league group sales department, the promotions department, because those people know and understand what it takes to drive folks into a stadium. Because to be quite honest, no one's showing up necessarily for AHL hockey. They're what they want to see. They're going to show up for Mookie bets, right? right. We had to get, creative to figure out other reasons for people to come to the arena. Same thing for you. Like you're driving people in there for entertainment purposes. I, I, I hate the, that the snobbish sometimes viewpoint that people have of like, Oh, they're, they're in the minor leagues. It's ridiculous because those people I'd put up against almost anybody to go and head to head in a sales competition. Well, think about that, Chris. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, a lot of major league, whether it be baseball or the NFL or, you know, the NBA or hockey or MLS, a lot of their promotional ideas, promotional content, digital ideas, digital content come from minor league sports. And in particular, minor league baseball, you know, like minor league baseball has always been the champion of promotions. You want to find out how to put bodies in seats? Go talk to Dayton. (laughs) Go talk to go talk to the Sacramento River Cats. Go talk to Memphis Firebirds because those guys have been putting bodies in seats with all kinds of funny, fun, family-driven promotions. One of the things I, I've read that you've said before to you all, and is there's no greater education than travel. And you kind of elaborated, uh, touched on that when you first started talking. Can you, can you speak to that? Because I, I truly believe I'd always tell young folks now in your early 20s, travel as much as you can before, not right now, clearly, because <laughs> we can't go anywhere, but when we are allowed to go again, because it just changes the way you I've, I've viewed the world. What about for you? It's exactly the same, Chris. For me, um, if you had told me that you know a, a young black kid from San Francisco would go to school in New York, live in London, live in Edinburgh, live in Manchester and travel to 131 major cities around the world, I would have told you you were, you know, you need to have your head examined. Um, but, you know, my mom had, had always said, look, don't wait until you're older to do these things. 
Do them while you can. Do them while you're young. Because nobody wants to stand in lines at airports. No one wants to go through all that when they're in their 70s. Go while you can. So every chance I got, I went. Um, And moving to Europe was a big leap. Um, My mom was not a happy woman when I decided to go to Columbia. And we lived literally 382 steps from my front door to the University of San Francisco. Um, And I went 3,000 miles away. But truth be told, you know, she also told me, you got to prepare for the day you're not going to play basketball. And so I decided to go to an Ivy League school. But here's where I learned so much. You know, Columbia gives you two educations. You get the Ivy League education and then you get the New York City education. And the New York City education was more (laughs) than the Ivy education. (laughs) Don't go down that street. You know, don't go to that neighborhood and you meet people from all walks of life. And so travel does that. First time I went to Paris, I not I did not know one word of French, um, but I navigated it. I had a ball. Same when I went to Italy. Same when I went to Taiwan. Um, recently, I went to China before the virus last October with the Brooklyn Nets organization. Like you just see so many things and experience so many things. And the gratitude that you have for the universe for taking you to these different places is you learn about people and you realize that people all over the world are kind, they're nice, um, they've seen the world from a different lens and they realize how how blessed they are to live in the circumstances they live in. So. Traveling is the greatest experience you could have. Um, And it gives you, you know, I spent most of my adult life in Europe. So I don't have the same perspective as people who have spent all their life here. And I'm grateful for that. Which, uh, what place surprised you the most about the culture and the people when you went there? Um, There are two places. One, I went to Barcelona and I, you know, I like if, if, if I had enough money and enough time and I could retire, you know, I, I honestly, you know, it's a warmer San Francisco, which is my hometown, but I, I love Barcelona. I love people there. I love the fact that folks are friendly. Uh, they're nice. They are, you know, they're kind of laid back. So that was one. And then I think the second place was Scotland. Um, despite the weather, I think the Scots are a remarkable people. They're extraordinarily smart. They're extraordinarily loyal. Um, and they know how to have a good time. They, they, <laughs> they, have, a, they have a passion for life that, that I don't know that anybody else has. And so, you know, honestly, I, I was very grateful to be able to see those two places. Obviously, you go to China and that's a, a life-altering space. But the truth of the matter is, you know, you you absolutely love. I love the Scots and, you know, I loved going to, to Barcelona on several occasions where I had a chance to go there and, and and really have a good time. Our industry has been faced with a lot of discussion around social issues, and, and it's obviously without getting too political and it's reached a boiling point on many levels. Having your worldview and, and seeing how other people live and society probably has changed your, like your viewpoint of the world, but our industry, 
I'm a big believer, like, look, you're supposed to use your voice for, 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 for good and the betterment of society. And that's one of the beauties of our industry. Right. And that's one of the things I love about working in sports. What's your take on how we can be better and what more can we do as an industry? We've, we've said all the right things, right? We always say, oh, we need to be more, more diverse and, and all that, but we haven't necessarily taken the right steps. What, what's next? What does our industry need to do to step up and actually walk the walk at this point? Well, you know, what, what's always been interesting is, um, you know, in an era where, you know, there, there's an enormous historical racial divide, there are all kinds of factors that contribute to that. Um, but the, the truth of the matter is, Chris, this, this, this is no new phenomenon. What this industry now has to do is people have to reckon with the fact that you know, you have different sports that have a, a shift in demographics. You know, if the majority of the players, whether it be football or baseball, you know, or basketball are African-American and yet in the front office, you rarely see one. That is something you have to reckon with. You know, the fans that love our sports are multicultural, Latino, Asian, LGBT. They're all over. They're all over the map. But the people who are making decisions aren't really diverse on the business side. So I think, number one, we have to get to a reckoning where people have to look in the mirror and say, does my team front office on the business side represent the community that I work in, live in? And does it represent our players? Does it represent the entire organization? And that's hard to do because people are reluctant to change because people, and I, and I don't think Chris, anybody is looking for a handout. What people want is real opportunities. And there's some extraordinarily bright folks um, who work in sports who never get a chance to participate. So I think one, we got to get to a space where people are prepared to make changes and accept the fact that this historical situation on social justice, criminal justice, has been going on for years and it's got to stop. And we need the people who are usually in control, usually most of the time it's white folks, to work with us, to stop avoiding it and stop kind of, I don't want to deal with that right now. It's not that important. And then own up to the fact that there's a lot of talent, there's a lot of opportunity, and that that opportunity has to be shared across the board in a diverse world that we live in, because it's not ever going to go away. Like we are in a new era now. And I think younger folks, I think people in their 20s and 30s realize that what has been going on has been wrong. It's been wrong for hundreds of years. It's been wrong for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. And now people want to they, they want they want to make amends for it and they want people to make amends for it. I, I couldn't agree like some more because we're having this conversation daily. I mean, Fenway, we put up a massive Black Lives Matter billboard outside the park and, in, and also inside the park for our games. And we're, we're trying to now instill in our folks is like get used to being uncomfortable. Right. And it's OK to be uncomfortable because we as white people don't walk in your shoes or have those conversations or, or deal with what a young black person who might be applying to an organization. And you say, you say that and they see nothing but white people. So how do we, how does that change continue? Like I'm a big believer in education. Like the only way we're ever going to get out of this 
cycle is to just continue to educate and like what well, I have a young children and hope raise them the right way and they raise their kids the right way. But how do we make it more inclusive and not be like this check the box to hire for diversity sake, but get the people that are in ready to hit the ground running day one, regardless of what color they are, but make sure that we are getting, bringing in these diverse people. Because we talk about, even from a business standpoint, to all have a bunch of the same people who think the same way, are from the same background, you're never going to evolve. It's not, it's not good for your business. So what other things can we do as white folks in our 30s and then as the young folks coming in to really make it more welcoming for people to feel okay being inside of a front office? You know, it's funny. We, we took a step. I, we, we're very lucky in that our ownership, Joe Sai and Clara Wusai and, you know, the, the folks that own BSC, you know, we made a statement in May. And, you know, quite frankly, in making a statement about, you know, right after George Floyd, about it's enough. There, it's enough. We've gone through enough of this, you know, systemic race racism, and and we've gone through enough of the bias, and we've gone through enough of unfair criminal injustice, and and the the criminal system is is just unfair. So, you know, I was pretty lucky. I worked with, um, you know, Dr. Maurice Stennett and Mandy Gutman on our team, as well as ownership. Um, and our interim CEO to create, uh, as an example, a sports law program that we are doing. It actually ends today. The first one we've, we've done as a kind of statement of, you mentioned education. So we've taken 28 high school students and created a sports law slash civil rights um, two-week program to give them education around the, the sports industry, the civil rights industry, um, just what the law can do for young people of color in New York. We did this in partnership with St. John's, um, the Ron Brown uh, School in at St. John's. Um, and it, it's ironic. The way it happened, Chris, is one of our season ticket holders is the dean of diversity for the St. John's Law School. And we were sitting and talking, and she said, I have an idea. And I said, that'd be a, like, I'm in. We, we found a way to do it. But you mentioned education. If we don't educate people, if we don't teach people to have better reading outcomes, if we don't give people the knowledge that they need to understand on how to progress their lives further, then we're going to be so far behind that it's not even funny. So you're right. I am a big believer. There are people who talk and there are people who do things. And I'm on the side of doing things. And so the truth of the matter is education is at the forefront of what we do, better health outcomes. You know, we've got to find a way to help people get better health, health outcomes. You know, how do we do that? So you're right. I am in agreement that we have to educate people more about the challenges we face and educate young people of color that what they think they know on social media is not all it. You got to go back to the drawing board and make things work better. Yeah, I, it's it's an interesting topic that needs to keep being discussed. And we as an organization at Fenway are doing everything to try and make sure that it doesn't just disappear. It's not that, oh, this was the hot topic button. Because it's like, I'm I'm 38. I don't remember Muhammad Ali, but to your point, this isn't new, right? This is We've gone through this before. 
but the change that needed to happen never really came to fruition. We made probably we call baby steps, but now it feels like we have enough people on both sides that real enacted change can come forward from this. And I think for someone who's young and looking to get into the business, there is a big white space to take the bull by the horns and be part of the solution and not part of the problem. It's, it's interesting, Chris, you know, if, if you were to ask a hundred black people, they have, they have fewer problems with white people than white people have with black people. It's not the other way around. You know, it's, it's, we have been at the, at the front end of the stick as it relates to bias and racism as have the Latinos. And so, you know, a lot of times people ask you, well, what can I do better? Well, number one, educate yourself about the history of how this has been going on since 1619. The history of what racism has been, how it takes hold, how it impacts where you buy a home and if you can buy a home and the lending practices around buying a home. So the reality is what what people I think are learning, especially younger generations, is like, wow, all of this went on and my parents knew about it and their parents knew about it. And that wasn't acceptable then. And I don't want to be a non-racist. I want to be anti-racist. And so how do I do that? And the best way to do it is learn, grab the education, and then do something. You can't sit and go, okay, I read about it. Do something, right? Do something. Right. Do something. Take John Lewis's um, advice. God rest his soul. Take his advice. And if you see something wrong or you see something that that is of injustice, do something. Say something. If you see people who who are starting issues or creating um, issues and confrontations, do something, right? Stand up for not only you, but stand up for the people that are being subjected to all of this abuse. Stand up for them. Love it. Love it. And I think if the young people listening to this need to hear that, that it's okay to stand up. And we've talked about it in the the Me Too movement is came through and, and I think people felt more comfortable saying things when they saw things and heard things. And now I think we're at a point now where this, this has to be the exact same conversation around racism. And when you see something that's not right, say something. And I've always told people, you'll never get in trouble for doing the right thing because one of two options, will, outcomes will happen. Either one, the right thing will happen and your organization will will stand up for you or you'll find out you work for a shitty organization. You don't want to work for those people anyway, right? Correct. So- Stand up and say something because there's going to be a positive outcome and you're going to take care of your your fellow human. And that's what we all are, right? It just boils down to just be a good person. That's it. And that it's it's been hard for people to really stand up courageously and call things out. People call it cancel, cancel culture. And, you know, Will Smith said something that was very, very uh, informative. He said, racism hasn't gone away. Bias hasn't gone away. Um, you know, all of these injustices, you know, they, they haven't gone away. They're just now they're being filmed. And now people are filming them and now people are calling them out. White people, black people, Latinos, Asians, everybody's calling out bad behavior and people aren't going to be tolerant of it. Like, this is how it's going to be. You're wrong for doing that and we're not going to take it. So, you either make a change or we're going to make sure that people, everybody knows who you are so that they don't want to deal with you anymore. So. 
Oh yeah. It's, 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 it's making, it's making strides. And it's just, I know our industry is, is, is definitely going to be at the forefront of this because sports typically ends up there because of the powerful voices our athletes have and our powerful voices, the franchises have. So I think as a young individual, you need to be prepared to have that conversation. And then what we need to do is educate them and, and, and empower them to have that conversation, right? It's because we've been challenged by sponsors. We've been challenged by fans, the rhetoric that came back towards us as employees, because we put up a sign in support of a movement yep. was quite frankly, disgusting. Yep. And uh, it's, it, it's eye opening because we as white individuals don't walk in those shoes every day. And then to be at the front line with you, that's not going to go away. And I hope it doesn't go away because we do have that power to help enact change, which I think is a good segue transition to what you guys do at the G league and the long Island. And you seem to have a very big focus on community giving and, and, and using your guys's power of an athlete to give back. Can you talk a little bit more about how you enlist your employees and what you guys do from a community standpoint? Well, you know, philosophically, I, I think any team that integrates themselves into the community where they live and play and work has an advantage. Um, and given that we were a new team, given that, um, you know, quite frankly, you, you see in less and less return on investment for regular out-of-home media, um, it's very hard to break into a very competitive market in New York. It's, uh, you know, the sports market has, what, 12 professional sports teams and 21 Division One college teams and, you know, a slew of, my you know, minor league sports teams. We decided to go all in and investing in the community. Um, and it's the right thing to do. We know communities on Long Island need help. I know that we can sometimes speak to, we can use our platform around education and around health and wellness to help communities, not just of color, but communities, period. Um, and we think that is the way forward. And we think it is the right thing to do. And that's ever since we started this franchise, we have uh, been on a mission to see how we can impact young kids about reading. How can we impact young, young families about health and wellness and making sure they get up and move? Uh, how do we impact uh, the military and our veterans and people that have served and, and made it easier for me to live a safe life, you know, you know, whether it be in the United States or on Long Island. So, you know, my point is that's been our mantra. We've been consistent. Um, and, you know, we are what I would call long-term investors in the community on Long Island. I mean, it paid off. You won the 2019-20 Team Business Social Responsibility Award, right? Yeah. And some, you know, rarely, if ever, do you use these platforms to win awards, but we are glad that the NBA and our our, our colleagues and fellow teams uh, in the G League acknowledge the fact that, you know, our commitment to, you know, that we partner with HSS on um, was of value. The, what we do in terms of, you know, our, our reading program was of value. So when you look at who we are, it, it all fits under the platforms that we want to do to impact the Long Island community. And uh, we, we're fortunate. I have a really good um, leadership group, management group, you know, with, with 
you know, Amanda Landstrom, who is our marketing manager and Wade Richardson, who runs our community. And, and they are really heavily involved with, with community and school districts and those kind of groups. So very lucky, um, led by those two and our whole team. And it, it yields rewards because of their commitment um, and the rest of us being able to follow their leadership. That's definitely the award that probably means a little bit more than the ticket sales award when you're a staff and you can look at the self in the mirror, right? Yes. And you can say, look, we did it. We had an impact and this is what we were recognized for versus putting peep butts in seats. Yes. That's the, so that's awesome. All and I can't thank you enough. This has been amazing. eye opening. the conversation that you and I just had, I think is needs to just keep having. And I think it's great for young folks to hear it. What would you leave uh, some of these aspiring sports professionals with any, any, any last bits of advice on how to stay strong and what, what should they be doing in the meantime? Well, you know, I, I think you, you, what you hope is what, what they have learned. Most people have seen being inside and being quarantined and going through this pandemic as huge negative. Um, you know, there are a lot of people that have lost their lives to this and, and, you know, condolences to young people who have lost grandparents or parents or family members or friends to this disease. But it has taught us um, about empathy. It has taught us that the people who are underpaid are the nurses and the doctors and the teachers and the people who work in grocery stores. Those people are the heroes. And it is probably taught young folks like, man, the things that I thought I needed, I don't need as much of them anymore. And how to value the relationships they have with their parents, with their best friends, with their siblings, with their relatives. Like the the reality is there's a real opportunity for this country to move forward. And there's a real opportunity for youngsters. They should not be disappointed. They just have to make sure that they do the work that's necessary, learn, get, get the information, get educated about all of the issues that are in front of them and the opportunities that are in front of them, and then be inspired by the fact that they have survived this. They will probably survive many other things that are, you know, scary, but they have survived so far. Be informed, be educated, be inspired. Great advice. Alden, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. I love doing this because I learn things every time I talk to somebody and you have given me a lot to think about. So thank you again. Uh, how can people find you on social media or email or get in contact with you? Well, you can certainly find us, you know, at LongIslandNets.com. You can find us on Twitter at Long Island Nets. You can find our team, you know, on Instagram at Long Island Nets. Um, so, you know, that's how people can find us. And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, that's how connected we are to the community. So please reach out. Doesn't matter what part of the country you're in. Um, we, we respond to everybody. We are an, an uber responsive group. Uh, so we always like to get back to people. Uh, and we have a pretty robust internship program. Um, so feel free to reach out and we look forward to hearing from you. Thanks again, all, and have a great weekend, and uh, stay safe. Thank you, Chris, and and thanks for allowing me to, to spend some time with you.